This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. You're listening to Bay Area Ventures, powered by the Wharton School. Here again, Roland Vandermeer. And welcome back to SiriusXM Bay Area Ventures, live from the campus of Wharton in San Francisco, sunny San Francisco. Actually, it's really quite foggy out there by the bridge, but right now the sun's peeking through downtown. I'm your host, Roland Vandermeer, and today's show, we're talking about Money That Matters, a show that's really designed to talk about to the investors and entrepreneurs that are really trying to create a difference in some of the critical issues of the world. We all know we have many, but how do we address this and using capital to address it and, and the exciting entrepreneurs that are creating ventures that actually do make a difference and will shift paradigms? That's what we're looking for. So anybody with any ideas out there, always willing to talk because we're looking at a lot of great opportunities that we can really help shift consciousness of the world. If you have any questions, give us a call at 844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866. And now I'm joined on the line by Kamal Ahmad, founder of CEO of Copia. Copia is on a mission to create a world where there is no hunger. Sounds like a big, audacious plan. Kamal, thanks for joining me today. And how are you? Thanks so much for having me. I am good. I am hiding from the fog in my office. So I can see the beautiful skyline uh, as it is right now. Yeah. So you're, you're actually uh, in South of Market? Uh, I'm in Fidei, yes. Ah, fantastic, fantastic. Well, tell us a little bit about, first of all, a little bit about the company more than the one line I gave it because there's a lot going on here and I'm fascinated by the problem and I've studied it a lot in the past. Um, so we got a lot to talk about today. But tell, give us your three-minute summary of the company and then we'll launch from there. Sure. So I think it would be helpful to give you a little bit more context. Uh, so I started what is now Copia a few years ago when I was a student at Berkeley I was a few months away from becoming an officer in the United States Navy when I encountered a homeless man who was begging for food. And you know, in the Bay Area, most people beg for money, but he was begging for food, and that really compelled me to stop and invite him to join me for lunch. And during lunch, he sat across from me just wolfing down his food. He was unbelievably hungry. It wasn't like a poi for anything else. And in between bites, he shared his story. He said, my name is John. I just came back from my second tour in Iraq. I've been waiting weeks for my military benefits to kick in. And because they haven't, you know, I haven't eaten in three days. And this really at home for me. I mean, this is a veteran, someone who had given the most selfless sacrifice for our country, one that I'm about to embark on, only to come home to face yet another battle, that of hunger. And then adding insult to injury right across the street, Berkeley's dining hall is throwing away thousands of pounds of perfectly edible food. And what I discovered after my lunch with John, the veteran, was that hunger is prevalent, not just in the poorest nations in the world, but even in some of the wealthiest places on the planet. I mean, here in Silicon Valley and San Francisco Bay Area, one in four adults don't know where their next meal is coming from. And meanwhile, over 365 million pounds of perfectly edible food are wasted every single day. And to kind of give you an idea of how much that is, 365 million pounds would fill the world's largest football stadium to its absolute brim, not with last night's leftover pad thai or this morning's half-eaten croissant, but untouched, unopened, perfectly edible food. And so how is it that in a world with so much wealth, so much technology, so much innovation and abundance, So many people still go hungry. My company, Copia, deems hunger the world's dumbest problem. 
because we know that it is not a lack of food that's the issue, rather an ineffective distribution of that food. So hunger is not a scarcity problem. It's a logistics problem. And resolving the disparity between you know, excess and access has become my life's mission and Copia's purpose. And so we built our platform to solve both hunger and food waste across America and eventually across the world. What's unique is that we're doing it with a for-profit model. Uh, so we are proving to the world that you can build a business that is both for-profit and for-purpose. And we're going to feed 3 million. We're on our way to feeding 3 million people with incredible food that would have otherwise been wasted. Um, I'm happy to go into how it works and, and really the journey after I met with John. Um, no, that is, that, is, that is amazing. I, and I so appreciate that. And especially the story really brings it home. Was his name really John, by the way? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. Or yeah. he told you so anyway. Um, yeah. but that, that is fantastic. And, and, and I really appreciate that story and that to make it a decision to flip that quickly was, I mean, that's a little divine intervention there. What, why would you do, I mean, you've studied, you went to Cal, did you, were you ROTC or are you just, yes. you yes, were ROTC, you know, I think it's funny as the daughter of South Asian parents. I mean, I'm an immigrant myself from Pakistan. And as the daughter of South Asian parents, I had four very distinct career options laid out for me from an early age, which were doctor, lawyer, engineer, or complete failure. (laughs) Well, I always wanted to be a Bollywood actress. Um, But as you now know, I started doing something far more realistic, like solving world hunger. Um, and so after I met with John the veteran, and so when I was in, at Berkeley, my entire life plan was to become, um, you know, to become a, a physician to, in the in the U.S. Navy. Yes, you know, yes, uh, yes, yes. I got that. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. And that's, yeah. So when I was 18, I got serious about planning out my entire life. I was going to study integrated biology at Berkeley, train to become a doctor in the Navy and find the love of my life. I would be married after graduating from medical school at the age of 25 and have my first kid at the age of 28 once my residency was over. And as you would probably expect, nothing worked according to plan, except that I did fall in love. It just wasn't with a person. It was with an idea. And, uh, you know, so after I met with John the Veteran, you know, I marched up to our dining hall managers and I asked them, you know, what do you do with this excess food? And they said, well, we try not to have any. And I said, well, how often does that work out for you? And after a lot of pushing and prodding, they finally admitted that they do have a lot of excess food, but they have to throw it away. And so I said, well, why would you throw it away when you could go right across the street to people in people's parks and donate it? And they said, because of liability, we don't do that. I was like, yeah, you know, homeless people's high-powered attorneys are standing by just to sue you. Like, you can't afford a hamburger, but somehow you can afford a litigator. And more than that, you were going to sell this food 10 minutes ago to Berkeley students. So 10 minutes ago was good enough for us. And now 10 minutes later, it's not good enough to feed people who are actually need right across the street. Like, well, I heard the meals there? are really terrible at Cal. So my, since my daughter <laughs> went there, I kind of, I know firsthand. Um, but <laughs> this, is, this is a stunning story. So, so this is your background. You planned this out. By the way, what you just said, when I was 18, I laid out my, you know, I find that a lot of people who actually do that plan and it's amazing that the intention is great because you actually set yourself up. And then what happens is if you're, if you're uh, able to and you're connected enough to feel what's going on, you can shift very quickly. But then you write a new plan and then you do that and then you keep on going. And that's, that's actually a great life story in itself. 
and to listen to that feedback that you got is is brilliant and I, I hats off to you and so appreciate your energy about doing that okay so this is what I know about food and I want to I want to walk you through this and, and walk the, the um, I guess the audience through a little bit through the business model as well um, first of all when we grow food today I mean there's a lot of food grown a lot of food is processed too but let's talk about growing food you know at, on the farm there's a lot of waste there okay because it doesn't doesn't really work. They get it to the packaging place and they have to throw out stuff because it just doesn't, it looks ugly, right? So there are companies doing ugly food, you know, kind of thing like that. But that's, that is a waste channel there. There's, then there's the shipping, storage and all that stuff and there's waste there. And then you finally get to the store and they pick out what they want and throw out some rest or, or send it back, which is dead then by then. And then, the, then it doesn't sell, there's waste there. And then it gets to the, as you said, the commissary or wherever it is and they produce and there's excess food there. Okay, all these are little steps. So what parts of this chain are you looking at? Are you looking at the last part where it's just not going to be served because it's right there and ready to go? Or are you looking at different parts of the whole chain? Yeah, so we are focusing on where 40% of the food waste occurs, which is for food businesses and businesses with food. So actually, most of the food waste occurs at the home level. So it's $115 billion that is wasted at the, the household level, but it is $90 billion that businesses with food and food businesses waste. And so this doesn't include farms or manufacturers or distributors. And the reason we're focusing on food businesses is because it's the largest addressable market. There's a significant tax deduction opportunity, and there's ability to scale rapidly through you know key customers. Okay. All right. So I appreciate that. On retail value, you're absolutely right. The price points, you're right. At an actual product level, there's a lot of waste in the system, too, as you probably know. And we're trying to solve many of those through different ventures here all the time. But I appreciate this one because this is, this is ready to go. This is right there, and, and, it, and it's primed for you. It's a logistical issue, so there's a lot of things. So tell us more about the logistics, and then tell us about the business model with that logistics. Yeah, sure. So again, some background context. So after I met with John the veteran, I um, and and they told me about this, you know, liability issue. I wasn't going to accept this answer, so I did my own research, and I discovered that in 1996, Congress passed what is called the Bill Emerson Good Samaritan Act, and it protects all donors, regardless of whether you're a corporation, organization, or individual, from any liability. And get this, in the last 23 years, the number of lawsuits or legal claims that have been filed against any business or individual that has donated food has been zero. But everyone and their mother has like a second cousin twice removed uncle's hotel that shut down because they donated food, when in fact that never happened. And so I print this out at a mandate meeting with the executive director of our dining hall, and I say, you know, I want to start this donation program. This is the right thing to do. Here's all the protection. And I can be pretty persuasive when I need to be. And so in you less think? Than 10 minutes, I, I would not imagine why. <laughs> um, in less than 10 minutes, he agreed, and we went off to start one of the nation's first food recovery organizations on a college campus, which was essentially, you know, students picking up food from our dining halls, our on-campus events, our stadium, our arena, and then redistributing it directly to the community. Great start. Hugely inefficient. As an example, one day I was in class and my dining hall manager calls and he's like, hey, Komal, you know, no one came to this event. So we have 500 gourmet sandwiches left over that need to be picked up in two hours. Otherwise, we're going to have to throw them away because we need the fridge space. So do you want them? Like, yeah, I want them. Like, great. Come get them. You got two hours. 
mind you, I'm still, <laughs> I'm still in my class. And so I grab my bag. I dash across campus. I jump into a zip car. I go through all these one-way streets up to our loading dock. And I begin loading this food into the trunk of my car. Remember, this is perishable food, right? So I just move as quickly as possible. And so I'm blasting the AC while I frantically try to get these sandwiches in. And I finally do. And I slam the trunk. And I'm like, Phew. thank God this is amazing food. Of course there's going to be nonprofits that want it. And so then I proceed to call 30-plus nonprofits in Berkeley, in Oakland, even as far as Richmond. I'm like, hey, I have this amazing food. Could you use it? Hey, I have 500 gourmet sandwiches. Do you need them? A third of them don't answer the phone. A third of them say, no, nah, we're okay. We don't need any more food today. Thanks. And then the last third are like, actually, you know what? We could use 10 sandwiches or 15 sandwiches. I'm like, great. Now I have 485 sandwiches. And it was me pulled over to the side of the road, so frustrated, thinking, you know, why is it so hard to do a good thing? You know, why is it so hard to do the right thing? And where are all the hungry people at? I said one in four. Well, where are they when I have this amazing food to give them? And it was that frustration that was essentially the birth of my inspiration. I thought how much more effective, how much more efficient this whole process would be if those who have food could say, hey, we have food. And those in need of food could say, hey, we could use that food. And we match these two people, clear the marketplace, and solve a real problem for both of them. So essentially like a match.com for sandwiches. Um, <laughs> that's what we went off to build, something far more sophisticated. Um, of course, it wasn't that simple to build, but it's exactly what we've built at Topia. So for the first time ever, all businesses can easily and effectively redistribute any of their excess edible food to those who need it most. And our technology makes this process smarter and faster than ever before with you know, web and mobile platforms that allow you to easily request pickups of your surplus food, you know, similar to requesting an Uber or Lyft, have it matched and safely delivered to nonprofits in need. Um, and I can get into the business model as well, but on average, our uh, delivery time nationwide is 26 minutes or less. And here in San Francisco, it's 13 minutes. So, the food so, so you're not going to individuals. It's not, it's, but it's company to nonprofit that already has it's, distribution. It's company, yeah. So, you know, when we first started off, uh, Copia, we built our own driver fleet. So we hired them, we trained them, uh, we insured them, we emotionally supported them, which is something I highly recommend not doing. Um, and the thinking was, you know, why am I trying to build an Uber while I build Copia? Why not piggyback off of this pre-existing logistics infrastructure that exists not only all over the country, but all over the world? And so that's what we've done. We've partnered with two of the largest food logistics companies in North America, which are DoorDash and uh, Postmates. And we've essentially done a webhook integration, which is a fancy pants way of saying that, you know, when our customer requests a pickup of their excess food, it's our API, which hits their API, which enables us to now tap into half a million drivers across 4,000 cities in North America. Um, and it allows us to scale and essentially become geographically agnostic uh, so that we can actually accelerate our growth um, at much better gross margins. Wow. Wow. That is phenomenal. I mean, this is, this is brilliant. I've, I've seen a lot of great plans, but this is fairly brilliant. And, and and your energy is incredible. Um, so just <laughs> I, I can you. see why this got launched. So you raised capital to launch Copia, it sounds like. Yes. Yeah, we're a Y Combinator company. Oh, you're Y Combinator. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Fantastic. And have you sought funding after that? Yes, we are. We are a venture-backed company. We have some incredible you know, VCs from 8VC, which is the founder of 
you know, Palantir, Joe Lonsdale's fund, um, Emerson Collective, uh, Moment Ventures, Structure Capital, um, Case, Mitch Capor, some of the best, uh, best of the best. Oh, fantastic. So, so glad to hear that. Okay. And, and I have no doubt, you know, that your selling skills are uh, right up there with your speaking <laughs> skills. Um, um, but thank you. Thank you. That's awesome. So, so here, here you, so institutions, uh, so what, what inspires me right now is there is room now for people to create nonprofits to give food if they wanted to start a business when you are a supplier of food. So you can you actually inspire people because you have plenty of supply, I would take it, right? Plenty of supply. Do you have enough yeah, takers? So is there a mismatch? Or are you building both together, mm-hmm. or is there a little mismatch still going on? At this moment, there's a mismatch. At this moment, we have many more nonprofits than we have food providers. And so that is what we're trying to ultimately scale up. At saturation, you know, we will have three times, we still have three times more food than there are mouths to feed, right? So there's just so much food that goes wasted. It's just about now, how do we access that food and then reroute it in the most effective way to those who need it when they need it most. And that also requires, I mean, I make it sound so simple, right? But it's not, this is a massive logistics problem. Trying to understand, you know, some nonprofits in San Francisco are like, you know what, I want prepared, packaged, ready to go food because they don't have a kitchen in house or they want uncooked meat, uncooked produce. And of course, because they're in the Bay Area, they can also say, you know, we only want gluten-free vegan food. <laughs> of course you do. Of course you do. Um, but, you know, then they have to say, this is what our refrigeration capacity is. This is what our freezer capacity is. This is the best points of contact. These are the best days of the week. Um, you know, and all of this information is then stored in our virtual marketplace. And so when our system gets a request from our a, a pickup request from our customer, we have to understand exactly what we're picking up what amounts, what type of food, um, when was it packaged, what is the full value of it. We have to understand all of those data points prior to even picking it up. Um, okay, and okay. So, well, let, me, let me just cut in for a second because okay. I have one question that I really want to, but this is Barry Ventures on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. I'm your host, Roland Vandermeer, and I'm joined in the studio by Kamal Ahmad from founder and CEO of Copia, who is actually solving the problem of taking wasted food, giving it to the people who need it, and really feeding the hungry is, is what's going on here. If you have a question, please call us at one eight four four wharton That's one eight four nine four two seven eight six six. 942 7866 So, again, the logistics sounds fascinating because this is a multi, multi-variable problem that you know has to be coordinated and that matching, it sounds like you need to simplify the matching algorithm in a way because the choosiness of people is just can get overwhelming when you're really trying to solve a, a permanent problem of food and calories and good food too, but calories nonetheless. It sounds like they're making it harder on you than it needs to be sometimes. I mean, it just, it's different. Shelters can accommodate different types of food. So it's not even that they're trying to make it harder for us. It's just that when you're open the third Thursday of every month, you know, the likelihood of you getting food from us may be a little lower than, you know, if you're open five days a week or seven days a week. However, that being said, one of our goals is also to not just hit up the regular, like, Glide Memorial and Delancey Street and, you know, um, city ministries. We want to also diversify. Of course, those are our largest recipients, but we also want to diversify. So to go to Arriba Juntos, you know, a domestic abuse shelter, um, you know, different senior citizen homes, different veterans agencies. I want to reframe the fact that people think that it's only homeless people that go hungry, when in fact, 50 million Americans don't know where their next meal is coming from. 
And it's not just the homeless, it is the working poor. And so, you know, one of the things that I really um, excited to do is to, you know, really showcase the people of Copia, the faces of Copia, um, so that we can also share their stories and, and how powerful it is. And though, yes, it is true, we are, and we, I do have the bodacious goal of, of trying to solve world hunger, our company is really focused on preventing and reducing the amount of food that's being wasted. So you as an example, 50 million people though are hungry. I'm sorry, 50 million. You said that yeah. just was resonating in my head still that they don't know yeah. where their next meal is coming from. That's, yeah. that's a real stat. That's a real stat. Yeah. And here, I mean, wow. it's one in four children nationwide. It's, it's crazy. It is crazy to me that in the wealthiest country in the world, this issue still exists. I mean, I remember when I was growing up, my dad used to say, Ekomal, finish your food. People in Pakistan are starving. Right? We've all heard this I'm in Pakistan and in India and in China and Africa. But what I realized is that hunger is prevalent, not just in the poorest nations in the world. Um, it's just a little bit better hidden here. Wow, 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 wow. That's really inspiring. No, I was growing up too. I heard the same thing because my parents went through World War II in, in Holland and I heard that every day I had to finish everything. <laughs> so it was like they know what it's like to be without food. Um, but um, okay, so so, so you, you you start this venture, but let's let's go back to the beginning here. So you see this <laughs> man, John, okay? I'm, I'm just fascinated. Mm-hmm. You say, what the hey, I'm going to do something about this. You start to do something about when do you declare it to become a venture and go to Y Combinator? When, and we're going to explain what Y Combinator is in a second, but when do, when does that happen? Yeah, we got into Y Combinator November 2015, and that was really... You were still in school or you had graduated by then? No, I had graduated by then, and that was the... It was the validation, candidly, that I had needed. And I was like, if YC believes in us, I believe in us. Do you want to explain what Y Combinator is for our audience? Yeah, sure. It is um, essentially an accelerator program, and it is the most elite accelerator program. Uh, And definitely not because I was only because I was part of it, but it has launched the likes of Dropbox, Stripe, Airbnb. I mean, some of the best companies of our time. Um, And they give you, you know, some funding. They and then you have like this three month program where. All you do is build your company. You know, you have expected growth of 10% week over week. And you're surrounded by a community of founders that are just some of the most brilliant minds in the world. Um, And, you know, your only job in those three months is to grow your company. And by the end of it, it culminates with something called Demo Day. And so you're in front of, you know, 500 to 800 investors all at once, you know, pitching your heart out and everything that you've done the last three months in less than three minutes. Um, and so that is, that is what it is. And I think YC, I mean, it's so much, it's so much more than those three months. It's so much more than demo day. And it's so much more than just, um, them investing in us, the community. I think, yes, I want to Cal, but by far the best community that I'm part of is the YC community. It's like any question I have, no matter how crazy it is, how personal it is, how vulnerable it is, like some founder has gone through it. And, you know, we have this internal network where we can ask one another any question. And in less than 24 hours, someone will get back to me uh, with the exact answer I need, along with 10 other people who will tell us, like, why this would work better. Or, like, it's just it's such a generous community of founders who are just all helping one another to, you know, create the next inventions of our time. 
Oh, that's fantastic. That, by the way, that's a great explanation. I'm sure they're going to love you for that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it, it is a really good organization. They um, did not pay me for that. That was not an ad. No, I understand. I understand. And it's <laughs> brilliant that they found you and endorsed you and, and you yeah. know, set you set you free to go do this. Um, and nothing's free, but it's it's a great <laughs> no. and it's very hard to launch a venture out of school. And the fact that they backed you is, is phenomenal. Yeah. Um, I remember when we got in, um, our partner had said, you know, Como, there are plenty of companies in YC that are going to make uh, a, an enormous amount of profit. And there's a few nonprofits that are going to do uh, a great amount of good. You are our first company that is going to both make a lot of money and do a lot of good. And we are so proud to have you. Welcome to YC. And wow. that was like such a, I mean, especially as a solo female founder, um, I think that was just such a great validation point that, again, it was just what I needed at the time to really take it seriously, you know, beyond just a student organization um, to actually become not just my passion, but, or my career, my calling, the, the thing that I am obsessed with that you know, no amount of failure can uh, diminish their flame. And, you know, the last uh, prior hour, we had Adil Kassan here who was talking about going to caves in India and meditating and, and bringing in this new world of, of this very new form of not only meditation, but really coming into your own. Um, by the way, so I'm going to ask you, do you meditate? Do you practice any yes. kind of spiritual yes, practice? Yes, I do. I do. I do. It makes such a difference. I have um, an app, again, not endorsement, but it is, I think, one of the best apps I've used called Simple Habit. And it really, it's like five minutes. And, and you know, I used to be very anti it. I'm like, I don't have five minutes. And then, like, I thought about it. I'm like, really? I don't have five minutes in my 24-hour day to just go and breathe? And so I have an alarm that goes off at like 3 p.m. Um, to remind me that like it is time to meditate. And, you know, I do it. And it's just it's like it gives you so much more. It's such an incredible investment. And I think also most people, I, I'm guilty of this too, I expected like an immediate result. But meditation is very much like a muscle. You know, the more you work out, the more you build your muscle um, and the healthier you get the stronger you get. Similarly, the more you meditate, the stronger and more impactful it becomes for you. Wow, I love that explanation. It's, it's beautiful. You should have been on the prior program too. Um, you're <laughs> absolutely right. The, the more you practice, and the deeper it gets and the easier it gets and the more results you see. It's just, it's just like any other exercise you do. Um, and, and it's incredibly balancing. And your team will feel it. They'll feel that you're yeah, in your... What kind your, of medi- do you do, do you meditate? Every morning, every morning, mm-hmm. somewhere between 20, do do? Uh, deep breathing, and then I go into this esoteric, I can kind of see geometries and other things, mm-hmm. but really the so focus is just to be, mm-hmm. uh, the body's gone, and then I decide if I'm going to do a work in my meditation, I figure out a problem, or just mm-hmm. be completely, you know, just there as much as I can, which is really hard to do, because the theory of meditation, you know, is just to blank your mind. Well, I, I don't know how people do that completely, unless yeah. you go to incredible yeah. states, so I focus on one thing and, and then I bring myself back to my breath whenever I'm not. And that's, that's mm-hmm. the habit. But um, the solving problems in that state of meditation is the most wonderful thing because everything just appears. Mm-hmm. And when people learn Absolutely. to do it for, just do it. And you'll, see, you'll hear voices. It probably is your own voice usually, but it's a <laughs> voice that tells you what has to be done next. And it's quite just powerful. It provides clarity. Exactly. 
Yeah. And yeah. I, and you become a better person, a better leader because of it. And I know many people who actually lead their company, start every meeting with like a few minutes, one minute of breathing and then boom, set the tone. And then all of a sudden everybody's there and present, which is really important. And uh, you have a lot of energy, so I'm sure you, you have to manage that too because it's powerful, you know, and uh, power comes from the heart, right? Yeah, so, so so this is, I mean, I'm, I'm so intrigued by the business model and, and the matching engine you're creating and, and some of the, but walk us into it a little bit about it and, and how it works, because I understand the matching part. You can find a buyer, uh, find, find a buyer, find people who need the food, and then you find a giver of the food. But where's the economic model now? Why don't, let's get into that because this is unique. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess just um, a little bit more context. So our customers are the food donors. And so they are businesses with food like Cisco, Intel, or actual food businesses like Whole Foods and the Cheesecake Factory. And before each pickup, they quickly update us on the amount and type of food they have through our through Copia's mobile app. And with this info, our algorithm will then match this exact amount and type of food to a nonprofit that can accept it at that day, at that time. Our system automatically dispatches a driver to pick up all of that food. And in, on average, less than 26 minutes, a driver shows up picks up all of that food and takes it directly to an after-school program for underprivileged youth, a domestic abuse shelter, senior citizen home, um, any of the 500 plus nonprofits that we serve. And upon receiving the food, the nonprofit signs a tax deduction receipt that we've automated and digitized through our system. Um, And they'll also send back photos and testimonials of the people that were fed so we can all see the amazing impact the food donor is having directly on the community. And that's more the touchy-feely side of things, but that tax deduction, it ends up being a pretty significant amount of money. And we've done it so that it's both automated and audit proof. So um, to give you a little bit more context on the tax deduction, and then we can go into the business model as well. Um, Congress updated the tax law in 2015. It used to be that only C-Corps could get enhanced tax deductions for their food donations. And now it's S-Corps and LLCs, so all food businesses. And it used to be that you could only write off 10% of your net income uh, and now you can write off 15% of your net income with that Delta 5 specifically for food donations. And let's say you're not profitable or you've already hit that threshold, you can carry that forward for five years. Meaning wow. it makes financial sense to do the right thing. So you, they and, donate, they get the tax write-off. Where do you come mm-hmm. in? Yeah. So, you know, we essentially, we think of us as an anti-waste management, anti-food waste management solution for large businesses and enterprises with, you know, hundreds of thousands of locations. Um, So these companies pay to work with Copia. Uh, They'll pay us an annual or monthly subscription fee, not only because we're enabling them to do a good thing, but also because we enable them to do the right thing for their business by saving them tens of thousands to millions of dollars in the process. Um, And so, you know, that is more on how we're streamlining both from the waste reduction side as well as the tax saving side. And now this year, we've expanded our focus from food recovery, so food donation, to food waste prevention. And so we're using machine learning to provide predictive analytics and demand forecasting to help businesses essentially reduce overpurchasing and overproduction. And, you know, our analytics will also provide more insight. Like, is it the Indian food station that has a lot of waste? Is it the Chinese food station? Is it on Mondays that you see this huge surplus? Is it on Fridays? Is it raining outside? Some employees didn't want to commute to work or fans didn't want to go to a game. Like, what is driving this excess? And then giving them the actionable insights necessary to reduce overpurchasing and overproduction. Um, knowing that they're never going to get to zero because food waste is built into these models. 
Yeah, I was going to say, you you almost put yourself out of business collecting food that way. Yeah, I think a lot of people say that. But again, we waste three times more food than they're about to feed. And as an example, it's like these types of analytics and insights that have enabled hospitals like UCSF to reduce their surplus production by 20%, um, saving over $31,000 in the first six months of working with us. And yet they still have over 100 pounds of food every you know, every donation. Um, and it's, you know, I think the hospital food gets a bad rap. I think it's actually pretty amazing, high quality food that they are um, donating to the community. And it's just because food waste, I mean, like if you talk to any caterer, they have a buffer of like 10 to 30%, depending on the event of how much excess they're going to, because you never right. know, God forbid you run out of food, like right. go to any Indian wedding or Pakistani wedding. And you're like, Oh my God, there's so much food waste. It's, it's, it is so true in grocery stores. It's true across the board because you don't want to run out of food. Um, and so that's why you make so much more of everything. Um, so, 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 okay. So let me, let me repeat what mm-hmm. you said. So, so first of all, the business gets a tax deduction because it's donating, not throwing mm-hmm. away. Second of all, they're mm-hmm. reducing their waste costs because they'd have to pay for mm-hmm. that waste being hauled. They so they can have some yeah. reduction. If they're effective, they can reduce that waste cost. Mm-hmm. And third, you're saying we can reduce our operational costs because we don't buy as much because we now begin to figure out where we're overspending and wasting. Mm-hmm. So there are three areas of revenue or cost reduction, I should say, for this mm-hmm. corporation or entity that's donating to you. You are just charging a subscription fee for this and, and you're doing all the work of picking up stuff as well? Yes. Yeah. And so from the data analytics side, that's much more of a SaaS model. And so it's okay if businesses are reducing their overpurchasing and overproduction because from that SaaS aspect, not only are we getting and collecting really powerful data that can be used elsewhere, we're also um, able to actually help these businesses now reach like uh, adhere to new regulations. So in California, as an example, we just helped pass something called SB 1383, which mandates that all businesses, jurisdictions, waste haulers, cities, repurpose 20% of their currently disposed of edible food and give it to food recovery services like ours. And then what we used our lobbyists to do was to mandate that actually data and analytics are also collected on this. Like, how do you know you hit the 20%? How do you know what your baseline is? How do you know it actually went to the nonprofit? Knowing that at this time, we're the only company that can do both the analytics side of the things and um, the food donation side of things, so the food recovery side of things. So and you, and you don't pick up the organic, the, there's organic waste and everything, and then there's laws being passed around the states and other parts of the world that you cannot throw out organic waste anymore. You have mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. repurpose it, recycle it to a biodigester or to a mm-hmm. composting heap or whatever. Um, that is not your business. You will, you will only take the edible food that's usable for you. You let someone else take the organic waste, right? We only take highly perishable prepared food. So we move the most difficult thing there is um, because this food has to move very, very quickly. Um, So if you think of like some food banks, they're going to primarily take, you know, canned food or like fresh produce. Um, For me, at least from the canned food perspective, I just don't think that poor people need any more canned food. Like, I just don't know what you're going to do with like five cans of like green beans and, you know, canned tomatoes when you're like a working mother um you have three kids you barely have any time to make a meal um let alone with like canned food so um really what we're trying to say is that look this is one is that we want to deliver high quality food with dignity to the people that we serve but we also want to make sure that people are eating just like you and i would eat in fact many of these people eat far better than i do um but it's you know there's 
plenty of high quality food that goes wasted at the Googles, at the Facebooks, at the San Francisco 49ers stadiums of the world, you know? And so how do we get that food routed to people who are in need when they're in need the most? And that's yeah. really one of the problems that we were solving. And you just you mentioned an example of the hospital, actually, which you know I'm sure is a lot of Jello in there too. I'm only kidding, but, <laughs> but you mentioned a hundred pounds. It's worth your time to pick up a hundred pounds of food. Well, a hundred pounds of food, and and that's just an average. Um, it's that's prepared. Actually, that's prepared 80. food. It, it's a hundred pounds it's, prepared. Yeah, food, which is a little different. yeah, and I'm I'm definitely lowballing it there, um, just to be conservative. But I, yeah, I mean it's still enough to feed eighty people, right? And so. That's also it's part of it's part of. So this is why they are paying hospitals are our largest ACD. So they pay us, um, you know, anywhere from fourteen hundred to two thousand dollars a month um, for pickups seven days a week because they operate three hundred sixty five days a year. Whereas um, some restaurants will consolidate to two to three pickups. Corporate cafeterias will do five pickups. I mean, so it really depends on your business. Um, and you price that into the model as well. You have to adjust yeah. for how many pickups. And, and so the subscription yeah. model also is based on what you think the logistics would be as well. Yes, because that's what drives our costs. We yeah. don't have uh, any, we don't have a distribution center. We don't have any other expenses in that respect. Uh, it's just our delivery costs. And, and therefore there must be a minimum, that, I'm sorry, but there must be a minimum amount of food needed as well to make it worth your time to, like I have a sandwich here, pick it up. No, it's not going to happen, right? So, you need a minimum to to force a pickup have to happen, correct? Right, but if you pay a subscription fee, I mean, you want to pick up a sandwich. Yes, it's not going to be really worthwhile of an ROI for you from a per pickup basis. But from our perspective, like we will still one, like we will route it in the most effective way. And not all nonprofits can accept a thousand you know pounds of food. Um, some really only need food for twenty people. Right. That's one. Right. Number two is you're paying us that fee no matter what. So got it. Got it. Okay. We're going to generate revenue. And uh, what cities are you in right now? Yeah, we operate across 14 states. Uh, Don't make me name out all the cities, but um, wow, 14 states. Yeah, yeah. So, like I said, you know, our our expansion is now we're geographically agnostic through our partnerships with Postmates and DoorDash, Um, and so our growth is really driven through our customers. So if a customer like NetApp we work with in um, Sunnyvale, like they are the ones that are like, we want to roll this out across the board. And so that's what brought us to Wichita, Kansas and North Carolina RTP. Um, same thing with like different hospital, you know, UCSF, all of the UCSFs here in the Bay Area. So you really um, don't have to be present in every city or you're working in. It's not you, no. you don't, physical presence. No. Interesting. Okay. No. Highly leveraged. Highly leveraged. An exponential organization, if there ever was one, right? That's the goal. Um, yeah. The you, you're familiar startup. with the book Exponential Organizations, correct? Actually, no, I, I'm not. Oh, oh, okay. That's why I, I didn't get – okay, the familiar – it's a really wonderful book written by someone at the uh, Google University down there. Mm-hmm. And um, and, and it really talks about how to lever things in Airbnb and – of course, Uber and all that stuff, but it talks about other companies that are using basically leverage. And why have physical assets when you don't need them? Do it through information and lever other physical assets. And that's in fact what you're doing. And um, it's really it's one of those few books that I highly recommend our audience and you read because it takes about two and a half hours and you won't put it down. 
and it speaks to exactly what you're talking about. Awesome. Um, Downloading it on Audible right now. Yeah, there you go. Um, instant real time. Right on right. <laughs> no, it's, 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 it's one of these things that I, when I read early on, I said, oh, I got to use this everywhere I go. Anyway, you're listening yeah. to Bay Area Ventures on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. I'm your host, Roland Vandermeer, and I'm joined in the studio by my, by my guest, Kamal. And, and, um, and I want to say something really particular, a very unique individual who is actually spearheading something I think is just amazing. And, and I think you're right. You are going to actually solve the problem of food waste and deliver to people who need food. And I'm just really taken aback by what you put together. Kopi is the name of the company. And if you have any questions, give us a call at 844-WHARTON. And that's 844-942-7866. Um, let's continue on. I do mean the compliment. I mean, I'm just blown away by what you've already accomplished in a few short years with a really de determined um, feel and energy that's going to make it all work. Um, so I'm happy to support you any way I can. I'm sure Wharton would be happy to support you any way I can. Um, besides going to Cal, you went to Cal all four years? Yes, I did. Uh, were, you, were you in the business school or were you doing, oh, you were a doctor, so you pre-med kind yeah, of thing. No, yeah, no, I, yeah, yeah, in yeah. my last two years, I really um, became an honorary hospital for sure. Um, but it, I think that's, it's really interesting how like your entire perspective changes when I realized I needed to build technology. Like I had never gone to the compute, like the science, like computer science or engineering part of Berkeley's campus. Like it didn't need to. Um, and then all of a sudden I have to understand and learn all of these new things. Um, and at first I was like, Oh, well, I could just do this. Like I can just become a software engineer. And like two weeks in, I'm like, this is not even the best use of my time or energy or creativity. Like I could find someone who could do this a lot faster and a lot better. Um, and thankfully I have, you know, as one of my, no, not my first hire actually has been with us for five years now. Um, he, I, he joined when, when he started, he could only work one day a week. And imagine trying to be a technology company when you're, cause he was going to school full time. So well, you have an engineer only coming into the office one day a week. Um, and I, but at the time, you know, I didn't have any money to pay anyone. Um, this is pre YC. I didn't have any time to pay anyone, um, which ended up being a really great filter, uh, defining people who really believe what I believe. They're incredible humans Absolutely. who are still with me today. And on November 15th, 2015, November 20th, 2015, he gave me the best birthday gift I've ever gotten. Um, and he told me he was going to drop out of school full time and, and join Copia full time. And it was, you know, that both investment and sacrifice that really enabled us to, I mean, now be on our way to feeding 3 million people and, and create this entire platform that will transform the world. Wow, wow, wow. Um, that is, and by the way, what you said about hiring is so key. It's so key. It's about alignment. Yeah. It's about finding people who are heart and mission aligned. And when you find that in a person, it's not about the pay. Yes, you've got to be somewhat competitive, but people will stay. They'll work because they are with you. And, and that's a yeah. key, key thing in hiring. And so glad you figured this out so early on. Um, you know, it, it comes with a comes with a few mistakes on the way, but I I think that now, especially what I've realized is, especially given the growth that Copia is experiencing, like I also realized, like I need a number two. So now I'm hiring for a COO, um, and you know, a VP of sales. We we're 
much more of a legit organization, which also requires us to have a lot more senior leadership and for someone to complement my skill set. Um, and, and now we have room to do that, which is which is exciting. And I am excited to find a partner in the business. Um, yeah, you have some great advisors too on your board. I saw, mm-hmm. and I think yes, those people do. they can help you screen for that. But again, it's it, and I, I'm going to say you say there's some mistakes, sure, but. You know, mistake is when we find misalignment. It's not that the person's wrong or bad or anything like that. It's just an mm-hmm. unaligned situation, and that's not a mistake. That's actually a learning event. Um, they're yeah, all learning events. The, exactly. I said that to my team. I said, we never fail. We either learn, we either win, or we learn, right? And let's just not make the same mistake twice. Like, that is one of my... Ideally, we don't make mistakes at all, but, like, we know that that's going to be inevitable just because you're doing something for the first time. There is no like handbook for this. Um, Clearly, if what existed already were sufficient, then these issues wouldn't exist, right? So despite all of the good work that, you know, churches and nonprofits and food banks do, um, there's still a massive gap. And this is definitely, I mean, it's a very Silicon Valley term, but, you know, I think this is an industry that is ripe for disruption, yeah, it's not even an industry. It's blue ocean. <laughs> okay, so you're, you're redefining something that's never been defined before, um, and it's powerful. You know, you, you must have some incredible mentorship going on. I mean, or you're just uh, incredibly brilliant, intuitively brilliant, which I can imagine you're a little bit of both because the the wisdom you're espousing right now and, and the words you use are well beyond a, f- a few couple of years of work here. Um, uh, what do you think is going? Did you seek out the mentorship? Or are you reading a lot? What is going on here? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think I definitely have an irreverent spirit for sure. Um, I, you know, so many along my journey have said, uh, "Come on, Como, eradicating hunger, you know, dramatically reducing food waste—that's impossible." And to which I now respond with the words of the late and great Muhammad Ali that impossible is just a big word thrown around by small men who prefer to live in a world as it is instead of using the power they have to change it, to challenge it, to improve it. Impossible is not a fact. It's an opinion. Impossible is temporary. Impossible is nothing. Impossible does not exist and it can no longer exist. We should not tolerate a world where we waste three times more food than there are hungry mouths to feed. We cannot tolerate it. We will not tolerate it. And so, yes, there are still hard days. There are still days where uh, I feel like the weight of the world is on my shoulders. But what I have done and what I've learned to do is become shameless in asking for help. I have no ego about I am constantly soliciting feedback from my employees, from advisors, from investors, from investors that have passed, because I want to know how to improve. I don't care about being right. I just want to get better. And I want to be the best version of myself um, as a leader. And so I think that like hunger to continue to learn and to grow, the hunger that you have um, to achieve something bigger than yourself to know that this is not about me. This is like not like to take your own ego out of it and to realize that like we are all building towards something that is bigger than ourselves, that is going to transform the world when we succeed. And I think that that is both um, a daunting and exhilarating opportunity. You know, that's a, that's a a beautiful, beautiful um, 
soliloquy almost. I mean, it's a poem that you just read. Uh, it, it is, you know, I'm going to tell you that this is exactly aligning with everything, everything that the people I work with do now, okay? And mm -hmm. this is much bigger than yourself. If you are in a state of flow and you're feeling it, you do not, you surrender to it and you move with mm -hmm. it. And yep. do not hesitate, okay? Because yep. it will work out if you're listening and tuning in. And this is part of the journey and so fantastic. Yeah. I mean, I you're, ama you're amazing. And I hope our audience appreciates so the so wisdom. There's a book, one book that I read, which is probably my favorite. It's my most gifted book called The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho. Beautiful um, book. And yeah, and they have a line in it that really resonates. It said, when you find your personal legend, your reason for being, the entire universe conspires to help you achieve it. And I feel like that doesn't mean I don't face, you know, obstacles and challenges, but I do feel like the universe is conspiring to help me achieve this. Um, and that's that, why it brings people like you, opportunities like this, um, the team that I've built, uh, the advisors, investors we have. Yes, and I completely align with what you're saying. And as a, by the way, an audience, that is a fantastic book to read. It opens up it the is. door to many things. And there's a journey after that as well because there's so much to track with that. If you understand what's really going on in the universe, you understand that it actually is here for you. And and a lot of people face a lot of hardship, as you know. Okay, they're, they're out there and they're, they're hungry. And it's very hard to get to that state of what you're operating in when you're hungry. And, and physically, you know, not able to get there. But once you do, you can go a long way in exactly what you're saying. Well, I, I am blown away and, and I'm so honored to have you on the show and so happy that, you know, you could attend this and talk to us because your wisdom is well beyond your years. And I hope everybody appreciates what's going on. You will be successful in whatever form that you know desires to take. It will be. It'll come out great, exactly as it should. And thank you so much. So um, again, thank you, and I, 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 I'm very appreciative of you being on the line here. Thank you. I really appreciate it as well. I hope your listeners will um, feel empowered to join the movement, to apply, to work, to advise, to invest, um, to be part of this because. You know, one woman with a simple idea can make a world of a difference. That a group of people banded together can rid the world of one of the most unnecessary and solvable problems. The world's dumbest problem. Yeah. And and, and they will. And Copia, everybody at Copia is the company. And please help yes. join. GSCOPIA.com. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play.